Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. It is always a treat to be able to talk with Armand White. Now, we have spent a lot of time talking about movies this week in the aftermath of the Academy Awards, and I love that. I love uh, talking with different people who have different perspectives on films that are out, getting their take on what you should see, and sometimes more importantly, what you should avoid. But Armand White stands out among film critics because he's an incredible incredibly iconoclastic, independent thinker. And he's not just a film critic, but he is a cultural critic as well. Very pleased to welcome uh, the National Review culture critic and the author of several books, including Make Spielberg Great Again, the Steven Spielberg Chronicles, Armand White. Armand, it's great to talk with you. Thanks for joining me on the radio. Hello, Frank. It's good to be back with you. So, uh, Armand, since uh, since the name of the book that I just referenced is Make Steel- Spielberg Great Again, and I know we've spoken about it previously, essentially you've said that uh, Steven Spielberg was better when he was making movies that w- weren't driven by some uh, bizarre political agenda. He was nominated, and his movie The Fablemans was nominated for an Oscar this year. What did you think of The Fablemans as a, as a longtime Spielberg fan, but also a Spielberg critic? Well, uh, I saw The Fablemans, and I thought uh, the title of my book is still relevant. He, he, he needs help. He needs to be made great again. I was, I was quite disappointed with it. Uh, he, it's, a, it's a film based on his own family history, but it also gets into some uh, political areas that, that uh, remind us of the problem that Spielberg's been having for at least the past 10 or 15 years. Um, he's become politically unreliable, and, uh, and the films are less entertaining, I think, for that reason. You know, he used to be, used to be the most popular filmmaker in America, and he is mm-hmm. not any longer. I think that has something to do with the, the obvious political change in the kinds of films he's been making. Lately. And that, in and that, that would, film... That would, that, would include the, that would include the Fableman. That film does deal a little bit with uh, anti-Semitism, particularly faced by young people. A lot of folks would say that's an issue that needs to be uh, addressed. Uh, what was the political agenda that you saw or the cultural agenda that you saw in that film, which uh, you think was not necessarily true to Stuhl- Spielberg's greatest era as a filmmaker? Well, you know, uh, uh, bigotry is wrong, <laughs> 
But then when the uh, story, the Spielberg family story, gets to the place of bigotry, where his family moves from, they move from New Jersey to uh, Arizona to Northern California, and the Northern California portion of the story is where the young Spielberg character first encounters uh, anti-Jewish bigots, it turns into a, a, a celebration of Spielberg's genius uh, supposedly the ingenious way that young Spielberg deals with uh, white supremacy. And the way he deals with it is by ridiculing them, uh, the white students at his, his high school, the, the racist students at his high school, by making fun of them. And But he makes fun of them, the char- his, his young character in The Fable Man, he makes fun of them in, in ways that, that it's, it's hard to believe. <laughs> and and it doesn't seem an adequate response to 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 actual bigotry. It it seems it seems made up. You know, this could this could be a case where the truth is stranger than fiction. But still, when you when you're making a movie and the Fablemans is a movie, I think uh, Spielberg needs to make that circumstance, that history, more credible than it is in the Fablemans. You are part of a diminishing breed. Years ago, it was not unusual for every newspaper, every national TV network, every local TV station, every local radio station to have its own film critic. These days, uh, that's few and far between. A lot of the role of the film critic has been replaced by bloggers who sort of do this for free or do this in their spare time or websites like uh, Rotten Tomatoes, where users uh, form their own opinions about films and viewers will make decisions about whether to watch the films based on websites like those. Do you think in the 21st century, in 2023, the role of the film critic is still important? And if so, why? I certainly do. That's that's why I continue to practice it. <laughs> I uh, bet. You know, uh, years back, uh, there was an article in the New York Times, uh, once uh, I think around the time that Rotten Tomatoes was becoming more and more popular, and there's an article in the New York Times that talked about uh, internet film criticism and, and how how this was a good thing because it was democratizing the profession. And that that might sound okay because we're all for democracy, <laughs> but the thing is, uh, journalism and criticism is it, 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 it is a, it is a profession, and especially criticism, uh, arts criticism, cultural criticism, it requires a certain kind of Background it requires some expertise. Uh, expertise cannot be democratized. Expertise has to be learned, and so we have a situation now where people are simply venting their opinions, but their opinions these are opinions that are not based on anything except feelings. It's not based on a on a knowledge of movie history. It's not based on a knowledge of what's of what movie history has shown us to be excellent or mediocre. It's just uh, a bunch of people expressing themselves, which is okay, but that should not be conf- confused with actual criticism. And and, it's, and it won't do. It's insufficient because uh, the back and forth from people who don't know what they're talking about, if I can say it that bluntly, uh, is not really helpful to anyone. It's just it's speaking just of film noise. <laughs> 
Uh, speaking of film critics, uh, there was word this week, at least word for me, as first that I saw of it, that Quentin Tarantino was preparing to direct his final film of his career. It's called The Movie Critic. Uh, what do you think about Quentin Tarantino's body of work and what's his legacy as a filmmaker? Uh, is he someone whose work has also ebbed and flowed in terms of quality over the years, or do you think it's been pretty consistent? I think it's been pretty consistently bad, pretty consistently poor, uh, very consistently adolescent and childish, and worst of all, cruel. Uh, Tarantino, he has he has talent. I can't take that away from him, but he he his movies are full of sadistic behavior, uh, sadistic action, and in all of his films, this is supposed to be enjoyable. And I don't enjoy it myself. I know some people do. I know a lot of young people do. But I think that this is the main problem that I have with Tarantino's work. Uh, his films are sadistic, but they're also cruel. And this is not good art. <laughs> this is not helpful. I realize that he's an important filmmaker in the sense that he that he was responsible for a kind of change in the culture and cultural attitudes towards violence towards profanity, towards uh, attitudes about about race and 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 women, but uh, he hasn't he hasn't I don't think his films help society. That said, I do also have to commend his last film, which is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which mm. was the first time I thought that he made a movie that that could conceivably come from the mind of an adult, of someone who knew knew something about human experience, who something about film history, in fact, besides trivia, because it, I think what was really fascinating about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is that it, it was a response to the uh, Tate Lobianco murders in 1969, and Tarantino's uh, attempt to, to memorialize Sharon Tate herself, and then also to, to give our culture a kind of catharsis about that, that horrendous uh, massacre, uh, that works. Uh, I think, th- I think that, was the, uh, that was the a film by someone who had some moral bearing. <clears throat> but generally speaking, his films don't. Uh, they're, just, they're just violence and, uh, and cruel. I alluded to the fact that Sunday was the uh, Academy Awards, and if people were just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Armand White. He's the uh, film critic with the National Review. Did you watch any of the Academy Awards? And and if so, what did you think of the ceremony itself? Yes, I did watch it. Um, I watched it, I guess, as a, as a kind of uh, uh, time killer, really, because I wasn't, I wasn't at all curious about it because, uh, remember – I remember Frank they nominated the Academy now is nominating ten films in their best picture category, and you know it used to be five, but now they decided to honor ten, uh, kind of suggesting that movies are so good now that they just have to nominate more of them. But as everybody knows, movies are not so good anymore. So the fact that the Academy wants to nominate ten films as best picture is rather absurd. But, but, but what I thought was really crazy this year. <laughs> is that they found 10 mediocre films, not a single film that was really good. And so that, that, made, that made me have 
be less curious about the ceremony this year than, than ever before because I thought there's no way, well, there's, there's no possibility for a good film to win since no good film was nominated. So I, I watched it with a kind of detachment, actually, and and, and that, that felt good, actually. I, I thought I, I don't have any resentment watching it now because I, I know the outcome is going to be bad anyway. So I, I was just kind of detached curiosity as I watched it. Well, so there was a an uptick in viewership this year. It was up twelve percent from last year. It was up significantly from from two years ago. Even though it was a pretty, uh, the film's notwithstanding, it was a pretty ordinary ceremony itself, uh, kind sure. of conventional. Nothing unexpected happened. Uh, why do you think there was an uptick in viewership, given what you've described as the mediocrity of most of the films nominated? Okay. I think there might be two reasons that, that that are worth considering. One is that mainstream media is still still promotes the Academy Awards as if they matter, as if they were reliable. Uh, in the weeks leading up to the broadcast, uh, you could hardly read any publication or any website that in some way did not mention the Academy Awards. Uh, it's as if mainstream media decides to promote it no matter what, and that promotion has to have some effect, I imagine, that that's, that people know what was happening, whether they cared or not. And then, you know, obviously, I think because of the uh, Chris Rock, Will Smith debacle from last year, I think uh, people had a kind of curiosity as to whether as to whether uh, that mm-hmm. kind of excitement would happen again. And I, I can only think that people, some people, probably tuned in, uh, waiting for waiting for a disaster. Uh, uh, waiting for a, a violent disaster, not realizing that the only disaster that would take place was a, a disaster of bad taste. Uh, needless to say, you, you described all the films that were nominated as uh, as mediocre at best. The film that won Best Picture and took home a lot of other awards was Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I found this pretty entertaining and at least different from most of what we see in the movies. How come you weren't crazy about it? Okay, uh... It seems to be different, but difference alone isn't isn't enough. Uh, I thought it was. I thought I'm sorry to use this word again. I thought it was a kind of childish movie, uh, and then it, and then it tries to address certain uh, existential questions about 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 time, about about existence, its literal existence, uh, about about faith, and it mixes so many different things together, so many time periods, so many different uh, philosophies together that I thought it was it was a a mess, frankly, and uh, and I, I found I found most of the characters uh, you said different. It, it is different, but not just different. I, I found most of the characters to be weird, and weird in a way that was not that was not uh, that one could not have much empathy for. Uh, just a, a bunch of strange people and strange behavior. Um, an oddball film, and then my thought, my response to the oddity of it was like, so what? I, I don't really care. I don't really relate to these characters, and and I need, I need, I think most people will need some kind of uh, philosophical grounding, some something, something in that story that, that we can relate to. 
and uh, kind of hang you know hang our hats on and mm-hmm. say, okay, here's reality. I understand it, but there are so many so many jumps jumping around so much jumping around in time and place that it was it was like a it was like a, a carnival ride that that wouldn't stop. And and and, we, and midway through, I, I I would have been happy if if the, if the film had just broken down and was no longer being projected on the screen, but it wouldn't stop. <laughs> Uh, talk with Armand White from the uh, National Review. Uh, something tells me, though, that you might have appreciated Michelle Yeoh's acceptance speech for her award, where she pretty much called out Don Lemon, where she said to the women of the world, don't let anybody tell you that you're past your prime. That was pretty interesting, wasn't it? Well, not for me. <laughs> you know, uh, any anyone who's paid attention to world cinema for the past 20 years, uh, is probably familiar with Michelle Yeoh, and Michelle Yeoh is I, she, she's what she's what they used to call a handsome woman, and I mean she's she's a wonderful figure on screen, uh, and and, and she, she's a, she's a, an excellent actress as well, and uh, I was disappointed in her acceptance speech. Um, I, I guess the reasons for my disappointment are tied to the fact that she's a good actress. Because I was under the impression, because she's such a good actress and has, has made so many entertaining films, uh, that I thought she was an intelligent person. And, I, and I, I thought that her acceptance speech showed that she was not an intelligent person. I thought her acceptance speech uh, was full of political, political cliches. Uh, she starts out with one of the worst political cliches of our time, where she referenced the fact that her win, her win winning the Oscar would in some way inspire girls who look like me. Uh, I don't. I cannot take seriously any artist who uses that phrase. I know that phrase is popular now among the left, among liberals, but art is not about people who look like me for anyone. Art is about making us, helping us to see how we are like other people and other people are like us. Not art is not about how we look. It's about what we are on the inside. It's about our humanity. It's about our morality. Uh, it's about the experiences we go through that other people go through as well. And when we see a movie and a, and a film that really moves us, a film that really moves us is a film that, that helps us to understand what other people go through and that, and that people who, are not, who don't look like us uh, share the same feelings and thoughts and experiences that we do too. So when she starts out with this look like me garbage, I thought, what's wrong with her? That, that's just a can't coming out of her mouth. She's, she doesn't seem to be a thinking person. And so that was disappointing. And then when she gets, by the time at the end of the speech, she, and she gets to the, to the Don Lemon, the Don Lemon rebuke, I guess you could say, about, about ladies, don't let anyone tell you you're past your prime. Ladies, <laughs> ignore Don Lemon. Don Lemon's a media fool. And and I would I would also say that anybody who has a mother, who has a sister, who has a daughter, already know who's mm, that women are strong, fair. women are intelligent, women are great, and 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 for Don Lemon to make such a silly statement is, is not worth the time of an actress as talented as Michelle Yeoh. But Michelle, but I also understand Frank that Michelle Yeoh is playing the Hollywood game. She got uh-huh, past. Uh-huh. She's saying the kinds of things that Hollywood liberals want to hear, but that was disappointing to me. 
Well, speaking of that, the, uh, playing the Hollywood game, uh, there's been a lot of controversy over the actors that were omitted this year from the In Memoriam section. A day or two ago, I spoke with uh, Paul Servino's widow, uh, Dee Dee, who's a friend of mine, and she thinks that there's an op- there's a there's a strong possibility that Paul might have been off the list because he was right of center politically. He didn't go all over town making political speeches, but he was open about the fact that he was a Trump supporter and that he was center right, uh, both politically and culturally. Do you think, honestly, that that might have played a role in his omission from the In Memoriam tribute? I wouldn't doubt it. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a member of the Academy, so I can't really say, but it, but it didn't surprise me because there there are reprisals in the film industry against conservatives, against Republicans, um, and, and everybody knows it. Uh, there, there's, there's bigotry and prejudice for you right there. Uh, look at actors like James Woods. Uh, look, at, look at the kind of uh, pushback that's given to actors like Mark Wahlberg in Hollywood. Uh, conservative actors, conservative filmmakers uh, don't get a fair shake in Hollywood. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was why Paul Servino was left out. Mm. There were a number of people left out of that memoriam segment, and that's unfortunate, and that happens every year, of course. But it's, uh, I think it, it's most likely, or rather very likely, the result of whoever put it together didn't know, didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> Uh, but I would, but I wouldn't doubt that there was some uh, political bias going on because Hollywood was the was the heart of the blacklist in the fifties. You know, uh, it was Hollywood, it was Hollywood uh, punishing itself, and which they don't—that's the truth that they don't talk about enough. But uh, there is there is political bias in Hollywood, so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't discount it. Speaking of uh, omissions, uh, you made clear that you weren't crazy about the films that were honored this year at the Oscars. If you had your own best of list from 2022, what do you think the best movies were of 2022 that might have been snubbed by not just the Academy Awards, but a, a lot of the award shows this season, the Golden Globes, the SAG, BAFTA, whatever the case may be? What were some of your favorites of last year? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> My favorite film of last year was a British film by a director named Terence Davies, a film called Benediction. And Benediction is a, uh, I guess you have to say it's a biopic about a an English poet named Siegfried Sassoon. And Siegfried Sassoon is known as one of the great uh, war, port, war poets of the First World War. And it's a film about Siegfried Sassoon and how... Uh, through his pacifist feelings, uh, he wrote great poetry uh, against the war. But he, and it's also about how he how he lived his his life as, as, a, as a gay man um, in the early 20th century. I thought that was the best film I saw all last year. Hmm. The British film, uh, the best American film I saw last year was uh, Father Stew, which is the film that stars Mark Wahlberg and and uh, Mel Gibson, uh, based on a true story. Uh, about a very wild, worldly young man uh, who gets stricken with an illness and in attempts to recover, uh, he finds faith and he becomes a priest. Uh, beautifully made film, very, very sophisticated in the way it's written because it's, it, it's, 
despite the, the not despite, but uh, I gave you a, descript, a brief description of the plot, but it's a film that's full of humor in point of fact. Mm. So you can tell that that kind of story with a sense of humor, that, that's a real sign of sophistication. Mark Wahlberg gave a, gave a, a very believable performance, and so did Mel Gibson. These are two great performances. Their acting and the film itself was ignored by all the awards groups this year. And I found that very disappointing. But I, I would I would recommend uh, Father Stu to, to anybody who's interested in movie, in good movies. Uh, I also like this Michael Bay film called Ambulance, <laughs> uh, a kind of action film, but an action film about, about contemporary America, about, mm. uh, about uh, EMT drivers and... Uh, <laughs> A day in the life of EMT drivers who get involved in a crime, but uh, but it's also it's also about it's also about the different kinds of Americans and how they come together. Those are wonderful films, those three, and they were ignored. Uh, that's that's why I, I can say that I went into the into viewing the Oscar show knowing that no good movies were were mentioned, were being considered, only mediocre films. Uh, had had Benediction or Father Stew or Ambulance been in the running, I would have, I would have watched the show with some excitement. Mm-hmm. I, I thought mm-hmm. these, these are good films by good filmmakers, and let's see if they're going to get their due recognition. That didn't happen. Uh, is the, we're just a stone's throw away from the weekend. It's still kind of nasty weather out, so people may l- be looking for an opportunity to go to the movies or to stream something. Is there anything out now, maybe out this weekend or out recently, that you'd recommend that people check out? Uh, i got to think about that. Uh, I think, uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> there's, a, there's a Chinese film that's opening this week called, uh, I think it's called Red River, Red River Full. Uh, it's by the uh, Chinese director Zhang Yimou. Uh, Zhang Yimou is the guy who uh, he directed and coordinated the uh, Beijing Olympics a few years back. Uh, oh. Zhang Yimou is, is, a, is, a, is a guy who makes visually astounding films, and this new film is, is no different. Uh, it, it takes place in, in China 800 years ago, and it's about uh, kind of a kind of uh, Kind of power struggle uh, between uh, warlords 800 years ago, but it's beautiful. It's a beautiful looking film, uh, exciting to watch. Uh, that's of all the stuff that's opening this week. That's the first thing that comes to mind that I could. Recommend. Gotcha. Okay. But but, but let me say again. I I think if if if, if some streaming service is streaming Father Stew, uh, that would be my first recommendation. Uh. I am putting it on my list. The, um, the There has been a lot of attention paid. You alluded to the Chris Rock slap earlier to this new Netflix comedy special that he has that he has out. I haven't seen it yet. I've heard mixed reviews from some cohorts and some uh, some peers of mine. What was your take on the Chris Rock Netflix comedy special? Uh, OK, uh, OK, so. Uh... I have a kind of double response here. I could talk about the special itself, or I could I could talk about the reactions to the special that we got from the media. Uh, I'm disappointed in both. Um, I, I I think the special itself was was just a temper tantrum, and and I'm very disappointed that the media 
as always, uh, promotes Chris Rock. They're always on Chris Rock's side. But they but they needed to hold him account because I thought his, his response to being slapped by Will Smith uh, was to, in a sense, uh, not take the higher ground, to take the lower mm-hmm. ground, and to come back with a bunch of allegations and aspersions and vulgarity and profanity and act like a, a mean and become and show the mean spirited person that he that he seems to be. This is not a good response. If you're going to take the high road, take the high road. But he took the low road, and uh, and you can say that he had every right to. I'm not arguing his right to do it. I'm 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 just responding to the fact that to the way that he did it, uh, and he did it in a way that that I find uh, unsupp- unsupportable. Um, he should have responded like a man, like an adult, and uh, and perhaps even a year later ignore it. I mean, it's that's done. But instead, he he wanted he wanted to get revenge, and I'm disappointed that the media didn't understand that that this special, mm-hmm. this Netflix special, was an act of revenge. And and we don't all get to we don't all get to uh, get our chance at revenge, and and most of us will never get. A, a chance to revenge to avenge something a wrongdoing with with a forty million dollar contract attached to it. So I, I I'm not I'm not with Chris Rock on this. I thought his response was was awful uh, and not defensible, frankly. Let me end with this, Armand, and I uh, hope you'll come back and we can chat again soon. Talk with Armand White from the National Review. It's clear reading your work in the National Review and listening to the conversation that we've just had for the last 20 minutes, that you are conservative, you know, on the cultural end of things and probably on the political end of things as well. National Review is a conservative publication. You also happen to be black, and I believe that you're openly gay. Those are not groups that necessarily are considered cornerstones of the conservative coalition, the black community and the gay community. And frequently the conservative movement is uh, portrayed as being hostile to the LGBTQIA, whatever other letters there are, agenda. And uh, frequently the conservative movement is portrayed as being hostile towards uh, the black community. Do you see any contradiction between being gay and black and being conservative? No, none. But remember, all all of that, all of those the suppositions that people have about me and about conservatives uh, is often just uh, based in ignorance and propaganda. You know, I mean, there are conservatives of every stripe, and uh, and people who are who are not accustomed to that need to get accustomed to it, and and also stop the. Uh, Stop the stop promoting the idea that that black people need to be part of the Democratic Party, or as I think that black people need to be on the Democratic Party plantation. No, <laughs> no. Uh, Armand, I, I'm yeah. sorry, we're, we're just, that's just about out of time. I want to thank you as always for another thought-provoking conversation. Uh, next time you come on, we're going to try and get you to really come out of your shell a little bit and really speak your mind. Okay. I'm happy to do it, Frank. I enjoy talking with you. Armand White, read him in the pages of uh, National Review. This is The Other Side of Midnight. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. 
The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.